Good morning, everyone. Brothers and sisters, beloved by God, He has chosen you. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, over to Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. So begins Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Paul has included Silvanus or Silas as he was known in the book of Acts and Timothy as co-senders of the letter. Both have played key roles in establishing the church in Thessalonica. Their inclusion lends weight to the letter, showing their agreement with Paul in the matters addressed within. Hence, the widespread use of the first-person plural we in many parts of the letter as you read through the letter. Now, the recipient of the, of the letter is the church of the Thessalonians. Now, the Greek word, I'm sure you're familiar with this word. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. Ecclesia. It means assembly. Secular Greek used it to refer to the official assembly of citizens convened for political purposes. Old Testament Greek used it to describe the congregation of Israel as the people of God. By tagging on the phrase, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul now clearly distinguishes the church as the new people of God. That's what you are. Everything that is spoken to Israel, especially as God addressed to them as the people of God, is now addressed to you. Every promise in the Bible that is addressed to Israel, to the people of God, now belongs to you. It's yours. Now you can say, He is our God and we are His people. We mustn't forget this. You see, the phrase in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ also acknowledges that the church is the fruit not of human effort, but of divine initiative. Our hope for the church rests on the crucial role of both God and Christ. After all, Jesus said upon the confession of who He is, that He is Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Who will build this church here? Pastor Vincent? Nah. Jesus Christ. See something that is not right and good or good in church? For example, last Sunday, I revealed to you the findings in the survey of theology. And surely as you go through each of those statements, answered by believers or practicing Christians in the UK, it certainly didn't inspire much confidence in the church. Right? But our trust is not and never in the church. Our trust is in Christ to reform His church. And we must believe this. Each time when we look around us and we see something that is not right with the church and we grow discouraged with the church, don't leave church. 
because the church is not dependent at all on the leadership even. Not fully at least. It's completely rested on the certain hope that Jesus Christ promised He will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against Him. Our trust is in Christ to reform His church. He may involve us in the process. He may, he may involve the saints in the process to plant and to water, but He alone gives the growth. We must not forget that. He alone gives the growth. We do our part. We water. We sow the seed of the gospel. We plant. But He gives the growth. Our hope isn't in the church, but in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul starts his letter this way, to remind the Thessalonians who they truly belong and who is with them to help them and to enable them. Paul's opening greeting also supports this conclusion, grace to you and peace. You see, for, the greeting here is full of theological significance. Each time you hear the word grace, each time you hear the word peace, it must remind you of something. For grace evokes the gift of God in His unmerited favour towards believers, resulting in their eternal salvation in Christ. And peace evokes the work of God in bringing wholeness to the lives of believers in Christ, restoring their fellowship with Him, with one another and with creation. That's what grace and peace means. That is why I always greet the church this way. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must remember, grace, peace. Reminding us all that our ongoing life and well-being depends on Christ and on Christ alone. You see, this God-centered focus in the letter opening also explains the thanksgiving that follows which takes up the entire first chapter. That's how Paul spent. He spent the entire first chapter on giving thanks to God. Makes sense. If everything is rested on God, if grace and peace comes from Him, all thanks should be returned unto Him, offered unto Him. And that's what Paul exactly did. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 1 again to verse 5, or part of verse 5. Listen, listen carefully. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The letter begins with worship. It's the first item in, on Paul's agenda. Paul did not rush on to deal with the matters of the church. You know, oftentimes when we, when we have our meetings, huh, the first thing we do is we rush into the first business of meeting and it's hardly usually really prayer or even worship. It is 
the urgent matter that demands our time and our discussion and our decision. We show we rush into it quickly. But look at what Paul does. He begins his letter with worship. First item on Paul's agenda. He gives thanks to God. He acknowledges that the salvation and well-being of the church depends on God. He admits that the good things that have happened in the church is the work of God. He addresses these words of thanksgiving to God, not to his audience, but for his audience. He gives thanks to God for the church. And that's what we must do. So let's consider the first point, the manner of thanksgiving. In what manner did Paul give thanks? We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You see, Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy meet regularly together for prayer. That is their first order of business. They do not start with petitions, making their needs or the needs of the church known to God. They begin their prayers by expressing gratitude to God. Because they know who is the major worker, who is the one that can do the impossible, who is the one that can reform the church, change the hearts of people. So they begin their prayers by expressing gratitude to God. You know the Heidelberg Catechism a 16th century reformed confession posed this question on prayer. Why do Christians need to pray? In its answer, it states as, the, as first reason, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. Thanks, thanksgiving. The pr that prayer is important to Paul is clearly seen in his inclusion of a thanksgiving section in almost all of his written correspondences. That's what Paul does. After he addressed the church, after he greeted the church, the straight, the, he almost immediately go on to say, we give thanks to God always. Prayer isn't perfunctory for Paul. It is not a by-the-way kind of thing. It is not only when I have time. Consider the two adverbs in verse 2. Always and consistently. Always and consistently. Consider the present tense of the participle mentioning or making mention, which means imply daily, it's a daily practice, it's a daily habit. Consider the plural prayers. Together, they illustrate the manner by which Paul and his fellow missionaries give thanks to God for the church. They pray corporately, consistently, and continually. They pray corporately, consistently, and continually. And so must we. Our first order of business is to pray. As mentioned earlier by our host, UA, here are two opportunities to be part of a prayer group for the church. Every Saturday, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., on odd Saturdays of the month, 
we meet for prayer online over Zoom. On even Saturdays of the month, we meet here on site at Hebron 1 on the fifth level. I invite you to come and join us in prayer. If you cannot do it all Saturday, I invite you for some of the Saturdays. If you cannot do it on site, I invite you to join us online during all Saturdays of the, of the month. For more information, you can contact me or UA. Now, you will find this option too challenging for you. How about this? Every first Wednesday of the month, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., online over Microsoft Teams. You can do that only once a month, one hour. Online, don't have to travel. You can come together and pray. For more information, you can contact Pastor Jonathan or Benjamin Fu on this. You see, both these, if both these options don't work for you, how about this? Gather with your CG. You meet once a week. Gather with your CG then. Allocate time at the start of your meet for each member to pray and give thanks. You know, if you do that, even though it's a short time, if you do that and you allow every member of the church to articulate to God their gratitude, you teach them something, you install in them an attitude of giving all glory, all praise, all thanksgiving to God. And every time you do so, and when you acknowledge God that He is responsible, you know, God multiplies the blessing to you, to your group. And in fact, you do far more good to your group when you involve God early on in the process. So pray for CG. Not part of a CG. Join one. Join one. For more information, you can contact the church office or your respective ministry leader and they can point you the way forward. You can approach me as well. I can talk with you and we can decide together what's the best small group for you to join. Join one so that you can begin to pray together with them. Not ready to join a CG? Then do this. Gather with a few others informally. Don't have to be something scheduled by the church. Somewhere, just gather a few others. Come together, work out a reasonable schedule, something that works for all of you. Covenant together to pray for the church and then give thanks to God always. How about this? Gather with your family during meal times. Go beyond just thanking God for the food. Don't do this. Thank you, God, for the food. Amen. Right, it's almost like, by the way, la, mechanical. I, I suggest this. It doesn't take you a lot of time. Spend some time in extended thanksgiving. The head of the family begins. Let's give thanks to God. Lord, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for your protection and your provision. I give you thanks for that particular episode today in which I witnessed your very help encouragement and then you pause let somebody else pray it doesn't take you very long and then after you all can have a meal together 
the importance of prayer can never be overestimated. You can never have too much prayer. Too much sugar is bad for you. We all know this. But it is good for the church and for you if you pray more. Too much prayer is not never a problem. And we need prayer. It is good for the church because it expresses our gratitude to God. In the memorable words of Hassan Taylor, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Did, did, not, did not the scripture say, we do not have because we do not ask? Our God is a generous God. He said to us, when we ask, we must not doubt. And when we believe that God will give the very things we ask, we will receive. The reason why we don't have, because we don't pray, we don't ask, and then we don't keep on asking, because God sometimes holds back the answer until you keep on asking. I have many experiences, I can tell you, whereby my prayer to the Lord is not answered until I keep on asking, I keep on asking, I keep on asking, I keep knocking at the door. Lord, it's Vincent again this morning. Hi. Do you remember that, that, that prayer I prayed to you one month ago? I'm bringing it before you again. Yes, I know I mentioned this 35 times already, but I know that, that uh, uh, you already know about this. It is for my own sake because I need to help myself to remember that I need to pray consistently and always. It is not you forgetting. I know you already know. In fact, if I, even if I don't ask, you already know. But it's for me. It's for my own good. I pray and I know you will answer. And many a times, he answered. Sometimes not in a way I want, but in a far better way. When we work, we work. When we pray, God the sad state of the church today is not because we do so little. It is because we pray so little. That's my strong conviction. Let's come now to the motivation for thanksgiving. What causes Paul to give thanks to God always? What explains the manner in which Paul and his co-workers give thanks? What motivates them to pray corporately, consistently and continually? Recall that Paul had to prematurely leave the city of Thessalonica because of the riot instigated there by certain Jews due to jealousy. He wanted to stay longer. Not to be too dangerous. So they were driven out of the city. The infant church was left without leadership. New church planted, no pastors, no leaders, not yet. The, their instruction in the faith wasn't complete at all. Concern for the church, very concerned for the church, Paul sent Timothy to check things out. Go and check things out. See how it is. Timothy brought back a glowing report which led Paul to write, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. How did that happen? No established leadership, no Paul, no Sylvanus, no Timothy, no proper instruction in the faith, yet spiritual growth. Oh. 
No wonder Paul and his co-workers give thanks to God always. Because God is there. Remember why Paul, Paul was praying constantly? He was concerned, so he kept praying, keep praying, keep praying, and God keep working, keep working, keep working. And that's what happened in the church. No wonder Paul and his co-worker give thanks to God always, first order of business, because they realize when God goes to work, nothing is impossible. What exactly did Timothy witness when he dropped in on the Thessalonians believers? Three things mentioned there in verse 3. First is this. Oh, not there yet. Oh. First is their work of faith. Now, NIV translate it as uh, your work produced by faith. That's the first thing Timothy noticed and he wrote in his report and brought it back to Paul. Your work of faith. Work produced by faith. This is striking. The phrase joins together two nouns they are often in opposition with each other in much of Paul's writings. Even up to today, you're still struggling the tension between work, faith, work, faith, work, faith. How did they go together? And Paul mentioned here, work of faith. By connecting them in this manner, Paul shows their rightful place in God's economy as it pertains to our salvation. Salvation is by faith alone, but the life of faith is characterized by purposeful works. We are created for good works. In the words of Martin Luther, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It is evidence always by work. Saving faith has good company. It produces Christian acts. What does this work involve? Well, um, we have to read the rest of 1 Thessalonians to discover slowly what some of this work involves. Paul doesn't really elaborate at this point, but let me offer three possibilities. It could refer to the work of proclaiming their faith. Very soon you'll see this in the second half of the Thanksgiving. It could refer to the work of living out their faith in holy living. That means being like Jesus, holy or it could also refer to the, working, to the work of holding fast to their faith in the midst of persecution. You'll hear more about how the Thessalonians are persecuted. And yet in the midst of persecution, without leadership, not complete in all their Christian instruction, they held fast. That's the work of God. Now, perhaps there isn't a need here to prefer one over the other. Perhaps you include all three and perhaps you include others as well. We'll soon see what the work of faith in, in, involves as we read the last, rest of the letters. Now, even for this tree here, do you see examples of this tree here in our church, work of faith? Give thanks to God. That's what you do. You know, whenever you give thanks to God, God multiplies it. Because God desires our thanksgiving. Because He's worthy of praise. He's all glorious. He's incomparable. So every time you see evidences of, 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 of the work of faith, you don't thank the person, you thank God. Because that's what Paul did. Give thanks to God. Second, 
Second is their labour of love. NIV translates it as labour prompted by love. Now, Paul also doesn't specify what labour he has in mind. Is this labour the same as the work mentioned earlier on? However, uh, the Greek word behind both are different. So perhaps Paul is thinking of something different, but it should be at least differentiated from the work of faith. Uh, from clues in the letter, for example, like this one here I picked up, uh, later on you'll come to this, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. The labour likely refers to love for others. Now, in the midst of persecution, right, where everyone around you, right, is ostracizing you, hating you, complaining against you, accusing you. The love and the support of the Christian community is extremely important. And some of them are, are probably driven out of their homes. You are no longer my son. The day you confess Jesus Christ, you are no longer my son. Out you go. No family. So where do they find love? The Christian community. The labor of love. In their dealings with one another, the Thessalonians have demonstrated love and support and care for one another, encouragement and comfort and consolation and tell one another, let's hold fast together. Let's not give up. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. So mutual love is seen among the believers. Mutual love for one another. For all, without distinction. They don't choose who to love. They love all, even their enemies. For even those who may wrongly take advantage of such acts of love. You know, sometimes when you offer love to others, they take advantage of it, right? And so what often, usually human nature tends to do, since you take advantage of it, I don't love you anymore. No, that's not what Christians do. They love more. Because Christ loved us more. And doing so more and more. And that's what Paul prayed. When he noticed the labor of love among them, the next moment at chapter 3, he prays again, Lord, you did this. That's why they can do this. So abound more and more. Let them do it more and more. So do you see examples of such labor of love here? Have you experienced them personally yourself? From some of the members of this church, I have many times. And every time I experience this, in a time of need, in a time when I need encouragement, you know what I do? I give thanks to God. Thank you, Lord, for this brother. I give thanks to God for them. Thank you, God, for this sister. Thank you, God, for this act of kindness. Thank you, God, for this word of encouragement. I need it now. Thank you, God, always for always thinking about me and my brothers and sisters here. Give thanks to God. Don't stop. Don't just experience it and just say, oh, it's a good thing. No, pause the moment. Even as you are walking away, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Whenever you do this, and when God is honoured and glorified, He multiplies this in church. Let me go on. Third, 
third is the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I translate it as endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word steadfastness or endurance is often used in connection with troubles and persecutions faced by Christians. There is clear evidence that the Thessalonian believers have suffered much affliction because of their newfound faith. Yet, they persevere in the face of strong opposition. Whatever form the opposition may take, they persevere. You see, Christian hope is not a feeble longing. I hope wrong. Hope wrong. It's not a feeble longing. It is not a cross my fingers, law. Touch wood, uh, touch wood, uh. Oh, sorry, this is not wood. It's not a cross your finger wish uh, that things will somehow turn out well sometime soon. Christian hope, as Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, doesn't disappoint. When you put your hope in Christ, He doesn't disappoint you. Uh. It is called confident belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His person, in His finished work on the cross, in His imminent return to effect our full redemption. Isn't that great? Our hope not rests on worldly things that can come and go, but rests on Jesus Christ who is here forever because He's the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit on our side forevermore great hope such hope enables the Thessalonians to stand firm to fight the good fight to finish the race to keep the faith to be found ready at the Lord's coming so they press on faithful to the very end and whatever the Lord entrusted them to do faithful to the very end, awake, alert, watchful and prayer because they remember the episode in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray, the Lord say. Do you remember that? The Lord actually invite three others to pray with Him, corporately, consistently, continually, but they all fall asleep. And why the Lord asks us to watch and pray when we are so tired? Is it for our disadvantage? No, it's for our advantage, lest you fall into temptation. The Lord does not want us to experience defeat. He wants us to experience victory, 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 victory. But for that to happen, you must watch and pray. Do you see examples of such steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ here? You look up to someone here, you see their walk and you say, wow, you know, I wish I'm like them. No, just give thanks to God because it's, it's God's work in their very lives. Give thanks to God. Paul views the human activities of work, labor and steadfastness as originating from faith, love and hope, which are all gifts of, from God. That's why his work produced by that is why it's love prompted by love. That is why steadfastness inspired by hope. Hope in what? Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he directs thanksgiving not to the Thessalonian believers, but to God. And that's what we must do. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage you to do this more and more? 
in all your Christian meetings, you go through, the first thing you do, don't, don't, go, don't, don't, don't do the... I know that's the reason why we convene a meeting, right? We want to discuss this. We need to make a decision on this. Begin with thanksgiving. Begin praising God. That's what Paul did. And that's what, by his example, he asked us to imitate him, as you will soon see. But there's another greater cause for thanksgiving. Other than he witnessed what is happening among the Thessalonian believers, here is the greater cause for thanksgiving. Verse 4 and 5, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The Thessalonian believers are loved by God. Have you taken a moment, put your hand over your heart and say this, I love my God. You know, it's one thing to be loved by your spouse, but it's quite another thing to be loved by God. Right? Do you know how God loves you there? Wow! You, 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 you must just sit down there and just soak in that love, you know, because that's what God is saying to all of us. All of you here, I love you. For God so loved the world. So Paul is reminding the Thessalonian believer, love by God. And when you're loved by God, huh? you know parents, when you love your children, what will you do? You'll do anything for your children, right? Right. Imagine God now. It's not just anything, it's everything. Nothing is impossible. So you take it in and say, I'm loved by God. Yes, your friend don't love you, but I'm loved by God. Sometimes your parents don't love you very well, I'm loved by God. Sometimes your spouse don't love you in the way you want to be loved, but I'm loved by God. And not only that, what did he go on to say? He has chosen them. It's not accident, you know? It's not, uh, oh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, here, okay, uh, no choice, I have to love you. Uh. No. It's not by accident, no? He intentionally chose you. That's why you are sitting here listening to all this. That's why I'm preaching here. Because he chose me. Can you imagine me, you know? This Koya guy. That's what he did. He has chosen them. Both these statements were originally applied only to Israel. Do you realize that? You read the Old Testament. No other nations that God said to them, I love them or I chose them except Israel. But today, Paul took the Old Testament language and he applies it to the New Testament believers. Both these statements, it now implies that, now, read, now Paul reapplies them to the largely Gentile congregation in Thessalonica. The church has now become the renewed Israel. That is why I don't understand when some people say, uh, uh, the Old Testament is not for us anymore, only the New Testament. No! When you have become the new Israel, the, the Old Testament becomes your scripture now. Except, except you need to read it with a new pair of glasses. These glasses have got the word Jesus Christ here. You need to read it in Christ because there are certain things because of Jesus Christ, you no longer interpret it the way the Old Testament believers used to interpret because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has fulfilled on the cross. That's why the Old Testament becomes our scripture. We no longer have to say their scripture, it's our scripture. The church has now become the renewed Israel. Listen to this language from Peter. Peter. Peter is so right. Listen to this language. But you are a chosen race, 
that's Israel. A royal priesthood, that's Israel. A holy nation, that's also Israel. A people for its own possession, that's Israel. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, Peter, even though he didn't use the word, is basically saying, You are the new Israel. All that Israel has inherited, that God has promised them, God now transferred to the church, comprising both the Jews and the Gentiles. Once language that were reserved for Israel now become the same language we use to describe the church. They now apply to you. You know, you, you, you can actually right now in truth say we are offspring of Abraham. Galatians. We are inheritors of promise given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We have been grafted in to the tree that is called Israel. Or we have been grafted into the true vine that is called Jesus Christ. The king that will never betray us. The king that is always true to God. The king Jesus that can never perish but will live forevermore. What a nation. What a people. What a priesthood. We are chosen. You are beloved by God. He has chosen you. So what do you do? Give thanks to God. Romans 11.29, Paul says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What God has given, He won't take back. Remember, remember the Mary and Martha case? Remember what Mary has chosen? And then, 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 then Jesus said, good portion. And then what? the following words, remember that? it will not be taken away from us. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That ought to comfort us. Not to rest our final destiny on our imperfect striving and uncertain strength, but in the election of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we give thanks to God. That ought also to challenge us to live in a manner appropriate to our calling and election, right? Because if we belong to God, if we are God's possession, we must be more like Him. Then we show family resemblance, right? You know, sometimes uh, parents, you know, right? They want your kid, uh, they not look at you. Eh? you do, do you get that? Oh, this one look like you, man, exactly like you, or uh, even talk like you. Do you get that? That's what? The father is hoping for when he looks down, he sees many Jesus Christ. Or rather, not the, the, not the real one, huh? the one that begins more and more to look like him. So, the moment you realize you are loved by God, chosen by him, you begin to live your life in a manner in, con in conformity with the Father in heaven and with our Lord Jesus Christ. So you begin to look more like them, speak like them, act like them, behave like them, conduct yourself like them, treat others as they treat others. That is why Paul's prayer is all that they may be like him, conform into his image, so that when the Father looks down from heaven, he can say the same thing he said to Jesus at his baptism and transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, 
or child or daughter with him, with her, I am pleased. Can you imagine that? The Father is pleased with me. We are not only loved by God, we are not only chosen by God, but the gospel came to them, to the Thessalonian believers, and to us, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The gospel is not only a preached word, but an experienced power. You preach the gospel, power. It is dependent not on human speech or persuasion. It is dependent on the gospel, the power of God. Hence the title of the sermon. You know, I recently rewatched Avengers Endgame. How many of you here are Avengers fans or Marvel fans? Alright. Alright. You know, there's a huge cast of superheroes with superpowers, right? You know, out of curiosity, as I was preparing this sermon, in fact, because I hear the word power, like, so I, I remember, the, the, out of curiosity, I engaged in a little movie trivia. Who is the most powerful of them all? So Insider, a global news and lifestyle publication, rated them on a scale of 1 to 10. Here's their official top 5. Number 5, Iron Man. Don't ask me why, huh? you have to read further yourself, okay? I, don't, I have no time to explain. Number 4, Captain America. Number 3, Thor. Number two, Captain Marvel. Surprisingly, number one, the Scarlet Witch. And then, of course, you must not forget, there's the supervillain Thanos with his infinity gauntlet, with the six infinity stones, right? So you can number, can name all the stones some more. Powers galore are on display there. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines power as ability to act or produce an effect. But to what effect? Much of the power seen in the Marvel movies are destructive. The good guys kill the bad guys, the bad guys kill the good guys. And that's what happens, they go ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, back and forth throughout the whole entire movie. And then those without power suffer under all under it, right? Buildings collapse on them. You know, like the, the, the Twin Towers. Uh. But this time, of course, not the two planes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Hulk. Then there's the power of the gospel. The power to save all humanity. You know Thanos' plan? To save the Marvel Universe involves destroying half its population. He said, for the universe to survive, because of the limited resources, I need to wipe out half the universe. Here, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Gospel, on the other hand, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power that is powerfully at work among the Thessalonians. The source of this power is the Holy Spirit. 
He convicts people of sin. He convicts them of the coming judgment. He convicts them of the righteousness found only in Jesus Christ. He gives them life. He makes effective the gospel in the lives of believers. That's why Paul said, in the Holy Spirit. So Paul preached with full conviction. And so must we. Let me come to my, the conclusion for today. This is only officially, in a sense, our, our first foray into the actual letter itself. Our theme for 2023 is outreach. Our tagline is every member a witness. You know, word member is the same word used, used throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 12, referring to members of the body of Christ. It is not to be confused with being member of a local church. That's not the meaning of the word member there. Member, this means member of the body of Christ. According to 1 Corinthians 12, used many times there. Every member a witness isn't a tall order at all. It isn't dependent on human speech or persuasiveness. It isn't dependent on human talent. It is dependent on the efficacy of the gospel. There is power in the gospel. It is the power of God wielded in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Every member of witness is not an impossible goal. If it rests on you alone, rest on your training, rest on your ability to speak, rest on your courage, then I think it's an impossible goal to me. But it does not rest on you at all. It rests on the gospel you bring. The moment you utter the gospel of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a power at work. You may not see it, but it's at work. That is why every member of weakness is not an impossible goal. It only needs you to believe in the power of the gospel. Just share the gospel and leave the rest to the Lord. Find whatever opportunity to share. Testify. Tell your story, but don't stop there. Tell your story and include the story of Jesus Christ, how His story makes your story meaningful and purposeful. That's what testimony really is all about. It's not about just you sharing a story. It's you embedding your story in His story so that when you share your story, you help them see the bigger story so that it explains your story. As I believe Suping reminded us, right, uh, on 1st of January, I believe. You may feel inadequate or weak, I feel inadequate of it each time when it comes to the opportunity to share. I always feel inadequate in it. What happens if they got some question I can't answer? What happens if I say the wrong things? What happens if I fail to discern carefully what is their need at that point in time? So what do you do? Okay, I'm not ready to share or keep quiet. You may feel inadequate or weak. That's normal. Nevertheless, advance the proclamation of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You don't trust yourself? Good! Trust the gospel. Trust Jesus Christ. Speak. Coming up, it's our Chinese New Year lunch. 29 January, 11.15am to 1pm. It's the lunch. 
Invite your family. Come for lunch. Invite your friends. Ask them, come for lunch. Well, you can invite them for the service as well. If they come for the service and lunch, they are most welcome. But if they say, I, need, I will want to come only for the lunch, that's fine as well. Bring them. You will have an opportunity there to, to, to witness for Christ. And those of you who are bringing food, bring lots of food. You know, I learned a lesson recently as I recall Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Do you know Jesus overcated? After that, they collect how many baskets? 12 baskets full. Like Jesus overcated. Like. Never mind, he never learned his lesson. No. After he feed 4,000, he overcated again. How many baskets did he bring up? Seven. Does this demonstrate wastage of food? No, certainly that's not Jesus' intention. It demonstrates the generosity of God. After all, we have left over, right? We pack it into basket or our tapao. Lah. Jesus actually tapao, you know, 12, he tapao, you know, and then he give it away. Lah. So we do the same thing. Got left over, never mind, we tapao. Either we bring home to bless our families or we bless others. So, brothers and sisters, those of you bringing food, can I ask you, bring. Don't worry whether is it too much or not. Okay, we, we want to, because we'll be inviting the community, our Brick Breaker family. Uh, wait, am I right? Okay, good. I got knocked there. Our Brick Breaker family. Remember the Christmas? I was embarrassed. I apologize. Sorry, I'm not enough food. But the next time, uh, you'll be a feast. So prove it. Show them it's a feast. Christians provide feasts. Why? Why do you all provide so much? Because of the generosity of God. Let me tell you the story of the feeding of the 5,000. That's where we learn our lesson from. You see? Oh, not only one, there's a second lesson, the feeding of the 4,000. Let me, let me share that story now. Well, let me share why. Let me share about Jesus. He's going to do the same thing in your life. He will over-cater his blessing for you. That's our Lord, generous all the way. The work of faith and the labor of love are particularly relevant for this Chinese New Year lunch. Also remember to constantly make mention of your invitees in your prayers. And above all, remember to give thanks to God always. You know, I was so encouraged when I attended the block party. I was superly encouraged to see you at work. And then I looked up and said, thank you. Be here is not for you. So finally, as I rem remind you last Sunday, uh, last slide, finally, keep practicing these four action steps. Brothers and sisters, beloved by God and chosen by Him, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? How has the Spirit moved you? That is from the Lord to you. In obedience, respond. 
not by first saying I will do it because most of us can't give thanks to him and say Lord if this is what you are impressing me to do help me empower me let it be you in me so that all thanks will go to you and the Lord loves to hear such prayer whenever you depend on him he loves it and then he will act on your behalf and when you pray God works so pray right now give thanks there's something you can give thanks for Heavenly Father we give thanks to you always praising your holy name thanking you O Lord for the wonderful deeds you have done among us Thank you, O Lord, for giving us a new heart and a new spirit. Thank you, O Lord, for your promise to build this church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you, O Lord, for the evidences of work of faith here, the labor of love here, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, even here in PFC. We give you thanks. Thank you, O Lord, for loving us. Thank you, O Lord, for choosing us. Thank you, O Lord, that your grace and mercy is upon us. Thank you, O Lord, that your word, your gospel came to us not only in word only, but in power and in Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We thank you, O Lord, that we have heard your call. We thank you, O Lord, that you have given us the heart to respond. We thank you, O Lord, that we are continuing in the Lord Jesus Christ to this very day because of your strength and power in us. In all things, we give you thanks. So help my brothers and sisters, O oh Lord, whatever prayer they have uttered to you, whether this morning or later on or the rest of this week or this month, I pray, O oh Lord, that as they voice their willingness to be your people and to obey you, Lord, will you supply them resources, power, presence, comfort, consolation that will enable them, O oh Lord, to meet the very thing that you have laid upon their heart. So that at the end, Heavenly Father, when it happened for them, when it is an answered prayer, we will turn upward and face you, O Lord, and confess all thanks be to you. So thank you, Lord, for the message. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, Lord, we give you thanks, Father, for giving us right now, with us forever. Until the day we see you face to face, the gift of your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks. In your name we pray.